From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thanks for tuning in and making Washington Watch part of your day. A tumultuous day in American politics. Former president pursued through the court system by a political adversary. And for the first time in over 100 years, a vote today in the U.S. House of Representatives to oust the speaker. These last few days, we've suspended the momentum that we had established the week earlier, where we were bringing bills to the floor, voting on them, staying late at night, working hard. That's what the American people expect. It's something Speaker McCarthy hasn't delivered. And that's why I've moved to vacate the chair. That was Florida Congressman Matt Gates earlier today calling for the House to oust House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. California Congressman Tom McClintock, arguing against the motion, said this. If this motion carries, the, the House will be paralyzed. We can expect week after week of fruitless ballots while no other business can be conducted. The Democrats will revel in Republican dysfunction and the public will rightly be repulsed. I am afraid that uh, Congressman McClintock is correct. The vote just concluded, and the House of Representatives has voted to remove the Speaker. All Democrats joined eight Republicans to oust the Speaker. Uh, we plan to get a update from Capitol Hill. Several of the members that uh, were lined up are now in conference meeting working on what's next. And if you're a Christian business owner, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission released a proposed rule yesterday that can weaponize the law against you. What's being proposed? Former Department of Justice attorney and White House lawyer Ken Klukowski will be here later to explain. I mentioned yesterday that laws in several states like Nebraska have gone into effect protecting children from the deceptive and destructive agenda of the transgender activist. Well, FRC, along with the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, has a new joint publication, The Trans Youth Phenomenon, Critiques and Hard Questions, and it's all designed to bring truth and clarity to the public discussion where both truth and clarity have been absent. Dr. Jennifer Bowens, co-author of the publication, will join me later. And in foreign news, later this month, a reported 90 countries will attend China's third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation in Beijing. As China marks the 10th anniversary of their pernicious effort to advance their global dominance throughout Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, new reports are surfacing that reveal that many of these projects have halted and even appear to be crumbling. The question is why? Asian expert Gordon Chang joins us later with the answer. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. Also, we'll be talking about later tonight, we'll be having our community impact team training from our Faith and Freedom Chapel in Baton Rouge. If you're in the Baton Rouge area, you can join us live. If not, you can join online to find out how. Text CIT to 67742. That's 67742 CIT. Our word for today comes from Romans chapter 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved.
God's invitation to experience his grace and mercy cannot be stated any more clearly. Confess and believe. To be a part of our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, as I mentioned, it's been a decade since Chinese President Xi Jinping launched his country's Belt and Road Initiative. This massive infrastructure project initially planned to link China to Europe. It has since grown to include 147 countries, two-thirds of the world's population, and as much as 40 percent of international GDP. But what began as an ambitious infrastructure project has seen many areas get bogged down with incomplete bridges, roads to nowhere, and mountains of debt, while China is taking over control of more countries. Joining me now to discuss this is Gordon Chang, a distinguished senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. You can follow him on X under the handle at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Thank you so much, Tony. So this, uh, we're, we're coming into the, the end of the first decade of this ambitious infrastructure project to kind of replace the ancient Silk Road economic development uh, for China. But now we're getting reports that a lot of these projects have been halted, in fact, crumbling because of corruption, bankruptcy, and it looks like China's taking advantage of some of these countries. Yeah, there are a number of factors at work here, and one of them is that China works through corruption. And so they have bribed elites in countries to engage in the Belt and Road program, and that has um, ended up, as you say, with projects to nowhere, the things that are crumbling and all the rest of it. The, the big underlying point here is that uh, China was building infrastructure that the private sector just generally shunned as uneconomic. So there was always going to be, I think, almost inevitably, these projects would fail because they just didn't make sense. And what China's goal was to extend its geopolitical influence, countries, on the other hand, had a very different goal, which was to get infrastructure. And so there has been this problem. And right now in Beijing, there's a lot of hand-wringing because people there think that the Belt and Road Plan doesn't really benefit China as the way that they had originally contemplated. But in some cases, as I, I've seen, you, I think you and I have talked about this before, Gordon, that some of these countries that have defaulted on paying back their loans, um, really, China's acting like uh, almost like loan sharks in some of these cases, and they're, they're, they're taking uh, property uh, rare mineral, uh, rare, uh, rare minerals, and other uh, things from these countries. Yes, and the geopolitical aspect here should concern us. Um, even though the Belt and Road Program, in many ways, is a failure, nonetheless, it threatens the United States. So, for instance, there's a Belt and Road project in Freeport in the Bahamas. That's within 90 miles of Palm Beach, and that project, by the way, is not working out very well. And that means we could see China take it over, which means that it could become a Chinese naval base within 100 miles of Florida. So these are the things that we always have to be concerned about because China's geopolitical goals, as we know, are malicious. And this is not contained with just in a couple of places. I mean, they're moving across the country, as I mentioned, uh, across the world, 147 different countries, in particular in Africa, where they're moving in. And these are poor countries. It doesn't take a whole lot to uh, to buy influence there. 
And at the same time, we have a foreign policy by this administration that's pushing, in many cases, uh, ideologies that are in complete contrast to uh, these countries in uh, Africa. For instance, you know, the abortion issue, the LGBTQ. Are we not pushing them even further into the arms of China? We certainly are, because uh, especially in conservative Africa, uh, you have, uh, you know, not only Christianity, but also generally you have this notion um, of traditional values. And the United States is pushing these countries to do things which they certainly find abhorrent. Now, the Chinese don't do that. The Russians don't do that, which means that these countries have a hard choice. And many of them have chosen China because, as we started to talk uh, in the beginning of this segment, um, China has corrupted the elites to engage uh, to um, start these Belt and Road projects, which means the United States is even further behind in Africa than we need to be. And that is directly traceable to Biden's social policies that Africans abhor. I wish this is one of those occasions where I wish I had a whiteboard because I'd want to write here and connect these dots because China is funding these initiatives, buying influence and in some cases buying countries, and they're doing it with the profits that they make (coughs) off the U.S. I mean, we're the ones that are that are really fueling their ability to do this, are we not? Oh, we certainly are. And also. Um, There's another aspect to this, and that is um, the IMF is coming in to bail out some of these countries that owe money to China. Well, that's really a bailout of China. So, for instance, in Pakistan, where you have negotiations right now on the Belt and Road, China has the $60 billion uh, China-Pakistan economic corridor. Um, Some of the projects make sense. Many of them don't. Pakistan can't pay back. And it's going to be the United States bailing out China. And, And that is just absolutely wrong. Yeah, I mean we're the one, we're the major funder for the International uh, Monetary Fund, and and so what we have here is it's, it's kind of like the scandals here in the United States with the payday loans, uh, where someone goes and, and I mean essentially that I mean we are impoverishing many of these countries and and driving them further into debt into the arms of China by doing this. Yes, and and the Chinese um, absolutely refuse to take what's called a haircut. They will not reduce their principle. And that means these countries have to surrender, as you pointed out, um, valuable parts of their country. So it's a loss of sovereignty. And we are seeing China take infrastructure. So, for instance, in Sri Lanka, uh, the port of Hamban Tota um, has now become a, effectively a Chinese naval base in the Indian Ocean. And we see this um, elsewhere. Um, and it could very well be, as I mentioned, in our own hemisphere, very close to the American homeland. Gordon Chang. If it were not for the United States backing them up financially, not directly, but indirectly through the International Monetary Fund and through our uh, trade deficit with them, they wouldn't be able to do this. They certainly wouldn't be able to. It is uh, U.S. uh, trade, investment, technical cooperation that has fueled China's rise. We are directly responsible for it. Um, And this is morally wrong. China is preparing to kill Americans. That's what it's doing with its uh, military. And also it's committing genocide and crimes against humanity in not only Xinjiang, which is the northwest part where the Uyghurs and the Cossacks are, but also in Tibet. So it is just morally wrong for us to do this. How fragile is the Chinese economy so that if we did get our foreign policy straight, would they come tumbling down? 
They probably would, because right now um, we are giving them a lifeline. You know, American business uh, should not be in China for a number of reasons. Um, but the Biden administration is dog whistling for them to stay, <laughs> excuse me, for them to stay. And that means um, we are providing um, that critical source of funds. And, and essentially what we are doing is giving them the confidence um, to continue their malicious policies against the U.S. They make it very clear that they view us as an existential threat and that they have to destroy America because they are worried about the inspirational impact of our values and our form of governance on the Chinese people. So there is no amicable relations we can have with China over the long term. And we have to understand that because they are out to kill Americans. This, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, Gordon Chang, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Always appreciate your, uh, your insights. Thank you so much, Tony. Uh, folks, I, I hope you're hearing what we're talking about here. I know there's a lot going on, all right, but we also have to, if we, we can survive this present administration, we've got to look down the, 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 the lane here. We've got to see what's, what's coming. And China is a threat, and we're fueling it, number one, with our foreign policy, as I talked about, but also you and I, not, not me. I quit buying Chinese products. But the American consumer, by buying cheap Chinese products are, are, are bolstering this evil nation. Oh. All right, when we come back, we're going we're gonna to check in with a couple of members of Congress. We're going to talk to uh, Congressman Mike Waltz of Florida. Also, we're going to talk to Congressman Mark Alford of Missouri. That's next. We'll get an update from Capitol Hill. Don't go away. We're back after this. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace the their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be disciples their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, just uh, about 30 minutes ago, uh, House Democrats joined with eight Republicans to oust House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. That uh, vote took place just before I walked studio. The House is now in uh, recess as the conference meets. I've got a couple of congressmen that a couple of our friends from the Hill are going to join us to give us a, a quick update. First, Florida Congressman Mike Waltz, member of the House Armed Services Committee, uh, Army, retired Army colonel. Uh, Congressman Waltz, uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Um, thanks, Tony. Let me, I'm just going to your your response to what took place 30 minutes ago. Well, Tony, you know, I mean, in a broad sense, I certainly understand the frustration uh, in the sense that Washington has got to change. Our debt is out of control. Our borders out of control. Inflation's out of control. Uh, and everyday Americans uh, are suffering. But I have to tell you, I just disagree with these tactics. Uh, just so everybody understands, without a speaker, the House can do nothing. Uh, Republicans in the House are the only Republicans in charge of anything in all of Washington. Uh, we are fighting against House Democrats, uh, a Senate run by Democrats, and of course, the entire Biden administration. Uh, and now, rather than pushing forward measures to secure the border, pro-family uh, legislation, uh, we passed a parental bill of rights. We need to be negotiating and pressing uh, the Senate so that parents can take charge of education. Uh, China is breathing down our throat. All of that is ground to a halt now while we deal with this. So, Tony, you know, in the military, we would call this a circular firing squad or, you know, my daughter's soccer team would call this an own goal. I just think this is incredibly unfortunate. And the happiest people in Washington uh, are uh, Joe Biden, uh, Schumer and uh, House Democrats right now. Well, and one reason is because let me predict something that's going to happen here. And, and, and I talked about this yesterday without House Republicans moving forward on the appropriations bills, which they will not be able to do now. We are looking right. at a Democrat-crafted omnibus that is going to be adopted in November, uh, or if the Republicans can hold them off until December without any type of leadership in the House, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's the real irony. I mean, the main justification uh, from Representative Gates, uh, my colleague from Florida, and, and, and those that voted with him, uh, was that we're not appropriating the way the Constitution and the law demands us to, that that year after year we go to these big omnibus bills, and that's where you know, you'll have 
the Department of Labor, thrown in with the Department of Defense, thrown in with the Department of Homeland Security, and you get these 5,000-page bills. Nobody knows what's in them except a few people. The irony is that's what they're upset about. That's the reasoning for going after McCarthy. Yet by going after McCarthy and grinding our work to a halt, that's likely what we're going to end up getting. And the Democrats in the Senate are going to jam us with it. So that's why I'm so frustrated. You know, again, I understand. I think we all have the same goal of reforming Washington and getting cons good conservative policy in place. But I, I think these tactics will actually move us backwards. And it's putting power back in the hands of the Biden administration and Senate Democrats. Final question for you, uh, Congressman Waltz. What's next procedurally for the House? Well, that's a great question. This is the first time in history that this has happened. Uh, you know, uh, I, I expect us to have a Republican conference meeting shortly. Uh, we will need to hear from uh, former, now former Speaker McCarthy, if he is going to uh, enter the race again, and we could have a situation like we had in January, where we go round after round after round. Um, or, you know, someone cuts a deal with Democrats, which is horrific. Uh, or, you know, I don't know from there, uh, yeah. Tony. And that's what's so frustrating on top of everything else we talked about. There wasn't really a plan. Right. You know, I come from the military. I've led soldiers and Green Berets in combat. You have an, you have an objective. You have a strategy to achieve the objective. And then you put resources behind it. And, you know, with all due respect to those who are behind this, I haven't seen any of that. I think this was personal. Uh, and, and personal is getting in the way of good conservative policy. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Congressman Waltz, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thank you, Tony. Hey, folks, it's a reason to pray. I will tell you, we need to be praying for our country. Uh, joined now by Missouri Congressman Mark Alford, who was with us uh, yesterday. Congressman Alford, thanks so much for uh, stepping out and, and, and joining us. Your take on uh, today's uh, vote. Well, Tony, I'm upset. I'm troubled. I do know that God is in control. There are four words above the speaker's rostrum there in the U.S. House of Representatives. It says, in God we trust. God is in control of this. He's going to find a solution or present us with his solution uh, in his due time. And we prayed in the well with the, um, the chaplain of the House, Margaret Gibbons, and uh, about 10 other members, uh, just praying for God to lead us and direct us uh, you know, we're a ship without a rudder right now. Uh, kicking Kevin McCarthy out of the speaker's chair is, I think, done a disservice to our body. It's done a disservice to America. Kevin has worked so hard and so tirelessly trying to appease these five or six people who he was never going to win over to begin with. And yet he tried from the very beginning. Yeah. We got down to actually doing business. I mean, we passed since January and February some really substantial things, as Michael Waltz talked about. I'm not going to go through those. We were passing these appropriation bills, the very thing that the Freedom Caucus, and in particular, these five or six individuals wanted. We were getting the business done, and now that is ground to a complete halt. And guess what I just got, Tony? A fundraising email from Matt Gates raising money off of this because he has destroyed what we have built in the eight or nine months that I have been here. Um, some momentum in changing America. The very thing that they claim they want, they have now destroyed. Wow. 
Well said. Congressman, uh, Alford, thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today. Uh, always great to uh, hear your perspective on things. Thank you, Tony. God bless. Congressman Mark Alford of Missouri. Look, this is the this procedure was there, and as was made reference to, it's only been used once before, introduced, but never actually accomplished. This is the first time they've ousted a speaker, and just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. It is there for extreme circumstances. I'm very concerned with what I see happening in society as a whole, but it's led by our government. We this what we saw during the Trump administration, two impeachments, and and I warned back then that that was going to open the door for Republicans to do the same thing. Justified or not, it just, we, we have pierced the veil of civility in this country. And, and once we no longer operate in a way that is under the moral guidance of God and our Constitution, we become at risk. All right, don't go away, folks. We're on the, we're coming back on the other side of the break. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled a Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org slash worldview. Again, go to frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Tuesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I want to clarify something I said uh, as we were rushing out. Uh, I was trying to make the break. I'm not suggesting what happened today was in any way unconstitutional. This is this was the rules of the House. Um, but we have to look more broadly at what's happening in our country and how things are just kind of coming apart. As I talked about the impeachments of Trump, now the impeachments of Biden, it's like now we just go after um, our political enemies. We see what's happening with President Trump in New York. You know, John Adams, second president of the United States, said our, our government – our laws were made for a moral and religious people, our Constitution. It's wholly inadequate for the government of any other. 
We have to self-govern ourselves, and that means we've got to treat each other with respect. And I, I am. I'm very concerned with what I see happening. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, not the most con, you know, I mean, do I agree with him on everything? No. Uh, but I will say that he, we, he was the more, most conservative speaker we've had. Our hope was to get to a more conservative speaker, but now is not the time. I do not see that happening. I see the House plunging into chaos. All right, let me move on. The uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, published its proposed new rules for workplace harassment yesterday. And here, here, here's what it could do. It could have a chilling effect um, on Christian business owners as it puts, into, puts onto a collision course religious freedom and the whole transgender agenda. The proposed rule cites the Supreme Court's Bostock versus Clayton decision, stating that sex-based discrimination includes discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, allowing them to redefine harassment to include alleged offenses such as, are you ready for this? Not using someone's preferred pronouns or preventing someone from using private spaces that do not match their biological sex. Joining me now to discuss this, Ken Klukowski, former senior counsel in the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice and former special counsel in the White House Office of Budget uh, Management and Budget. He also litigated constitutional cases in the U.S. Supreme Court. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right, so what did I miss on these new rules? Well, it's, uh, I, I, I don't think you missed anything. I think you've uh, touched on some major points uh, on it. This is, uh, this is a proposed rule. Uh, so it is, this is not set in stone yet. There, there is a window for acting on it, but I think uh, you're correctly flagging uh, concerns that faithful Christians and adherents of, uh, of various uh, traditional faiths uh, would have in terms of what the EEOC is uh, trying to uh, uh, trying to press upon them here. Now, they had tried, if I'm not mistaken, they had tried this, but they got knocked down by a court. So they're coming back now with this proposed rule, right? It, it, it's it, it's been an ongoing process. And yes, there, there, there have been multiple stages. The, the, the latest one here is the EEOC uh, promulgating what's called a proposed rule that opens a, a window for public comment. Then those comments have to be digested. They have to be examined. They have to be studied for what are called substantial comments. The agency either needs to make changes or they need to create a written record as to why they think the concern is uh, uh, is unfounded. Uh, and then after all that, that's when you get a final rule that actually takes effect. So uh, I think the rule period, uh, the, the comment period is between now and November the 1st, if I'm not mistaken. W- will they actually read these rules? Can, I mean, these uh, comments, can these comments uh, stop one of these rules from going into place? Uh, great question. Uh, really, comments, you can put them into two baskets uh, that, that have different effects. One is the sheer number of comments. And of course, you have a lot of listeners. <laughs> and so uh, our, our show today could have an impact on that. They are required to read every single rule. Now, uh, many rules, I mean, I'm sorry, many comments can, you know, be cut and paste, uh, can be short. They aren't really saying much. The agency still doesn't know until they read it. So if they get 150,000 comments, 
300,000 comments. They have to actually read through all those. Uh, sometimes they hire staff in, in contract with people and stuff to actually accelerate that process. But that can take weeks or even months. It can take multiple months. Then you also have substantive comments. And, and understand a comment, like a substantive comment, might not be like a paragraph. It can be, it can be several pages. Uh, it can have some some dense data included in it. And for those substantive comments, that's the, the second thing that can delay implementation is that for substantive comments, the agency has to do more than read it. They need to uh, uh, articulate it in the record that they're acknowledging the substantive comment that they're looking at. And then they need to give a written response on the record to that comment. Now, if, if comments are pretty much identical in their substance, like if you get 10 comments, they're pretty much saying the same thing, then that could be styled as one substantive comment. But if there's some meaty content uh, in mm -hmm. that comment, then the agency has to actually articulate uh, a response. They either need to change the, uh, the, the rule at that point, or they need to give a written explanation as to why they think that the rule will not uh, result in any harm uh, that's articulated in the comment, or if they attempt to ignore it, uh, people can sue. Over so that, that, that so, was my yes. yeah that was my next question because we're up against a break. But if they right. fail to address these comments, this opens them up for uh, individuals taking them to court to sue to stop this rule. Correct. That's a, that's exactly right. Okay. Uh, if they either ignore them or if they respond and say there's no big deal. Uh, either way, the commenters can actually bring can actually bring litigation. Okay. King Kolkowski, we're out of time, but always great to get your legal insight, uh, and we're going to be following up on this, I can assure you. Always great to be with you, Tony. Thank you. God bless. All right, folks, don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right after this message. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND 
hand to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Senator Kevin Kramer. Well, first of all, let me just say thank you to FRC and, and their staff for, for doing two things that I think are so important in representative uh, government. Uh, one is, as I like to say, is that you hold us accountable. But what's more important is that you're an extension of your representative government. You are an extension of those of us who, who, who take the pledge and, and pledge our allegiance to our country and to our Constitution. Um, but lean heavily on, on you and, and what you provide. So keep up the great work. We need you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Tuesday. And uh, on this rule that we're talking about, the EEOC, we're going to have more information on how you can make a comment. So so stand by. That'll be coming in the next day or two as uh, we prepare that. All right. In uh, probably a little more than an hour, the Family Research Council will be holding its community impact training at our Faith and Freedom Chapel in Baton Rouge. Joining me now in studio to discuss tonight's event and how community impact training can help your church make a difference in your community is Tim Throckmorton, National Director for Community Impact here at the Family Research Council. Tim, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. So let's, uh, by the way, folks, before I go any further, let me just say this. If you would like to join us tonight, you can join online or you can join in person. If you're uh, in the, uh, the area, just text CIT to 67742. That's 67742. You have to register uh, to be a part of it, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com. So what can they expect tonight, Tim? Well, we're going to talk about how you can start a community impact team in your church that will affect your community, your state, and the nation. One of the questions I get around the country, Tony, is what can I do? Parents, grandparents, how can I help? What can I do? And this is a tangible way that people can get involved very simply in a local arena, but often getting involved with a community impact team leads to involvement in local uh, civic, uh, the local civic arena, and many people are running for office now who started out as members of a community impact team. Yeah, it's right where you are. It's kind of like Nehemiah and building the wall right there in front of your house. So we talk about 
Um, what's happening in our nation, we've been talking about what's happening in Washington on Capitol Hill today. And this is, we need to think nationally but act locally. And we can make a difference right where we are. And you have the tools through the Community Act uh, impacting. So what kind of things will they learn tonight? They'll learn how to build a team, who to look for, the type of individuals in a church who can be a part of that team or should be a part of that team with their giftings. And then how those giftings with this team's structure can influence local uh, elections, school boards, can have a uh, lasting impact uh, educationally through local schools, Christian schools. They can get involved in the electoral process, which, again, that's that door of understanding. A lot of folks don't understand how government works in America anymore. Well, this is a way to not only understand but to to put your hands to work. Right. And tonight we're going to... We're going to be looking at a couple of these issues that have people concerned, election integrity. Uh, We're going to be joined by former Secretary of State of Ohio, Ken Blackwell, who is a special advisor on election integrity for FRC Action, talking about the uh, states that have changed their laws since 2020. We're also going to talk about uh, what different election laws have. Now, Louisiana, uh, New Jersey, Mississippi, and Virginia all have elections this fall. Um... And so there's folks, actually, I, I voted today. That's why I got this little sticker I on. I, I voted early. Uh, and so, so you know, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, where you can find out about your particular state and what's happening in your state, but also certain laws uh, that have been changed that we don't really like, but they're in place, like uh, early voting, voting by mail. Um, and we need to use those tools. A, a ballot collection. We have exactly. churches. We're going to be talking with Gina Gleason from California, where California churches actually did ballot collections, and they won congressional seats as a result. It's, it's like Jeremiah said, seeking the welfare of the city, the country where you are. And that's what folks get to do. They get to be involved in the process, bringing their biblical worldview values to bear in that civic arena. And they not only begin to understand things better, but they begin to see how the issues, uh, how the Bible speaks to the issues that local politics, national and state politics uh, how that meshes together and how we are to be involved, engaged as salt and light. All right, Tim Throckmorton, that begins at 6.30 Central Time this evening. And again, folks, uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, you can join online or in person. Uh, Go to TonyPerkins.com or text CIT to 67742. Tim, look forward to seeing you tonight. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. All right. Uh, this week, the Family Research Council, along with the organization Do No Harm and the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, published the Trans Youth Phenomenon, Critiques and Hard Questions. This new report addresses the difficult questions concerning the ideological underpinning, underpin, underpinnings of the gender transitioning of minors the physiological procedures currently being employed on minors, the ability of minors to consent, and the uh, deficient justifications for increasingly intensive interventions. And it's an excellent resource for anyone looking for guidance on this important subject. Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Jennifer Bowens, director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. Dr. Bowens, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's good to be back, Tony. So tell us uh, about this new publication and why it is so necessary at this time. 
Yeah, so this resource is uh, intended to be kind of um, uh, for policymakers, first of all, because uh, a lot of the testimonies that we've given at the state level or um, even up on the Hill have uh, been uh, the questions have um, that we've answered have been about these issues. So we put this together because we just kept hearing these questions over and over, and these are the issues that scaffold the trans issue um, and the research that's used to um, come alongside and and push these uh, very invasive physiological interventions. So this is a great resource because it includes a lot of citations, a lot of the research that um, has been used uh, to promote these procedures. So it's all in one place. Pretty much every question that's been asked on this issue is included in this packet here. So who is this targeted toward in terms of who benefits most from having access to this publication? So really, we we wrote this with the intention that this would be used for policymakers, but it's so user-friendly that it is really for anyone who has questions or, you know, maybe you're a parent or a grandparent and you have a, a, a child that you care about who's who's come home from school and they, they're they giving some of the same lines that we often hear that, you know, if, you, if, if I don't transition, I'm going to commit suicide. Or, you know, where, what are some of the root issues that go along with um, someone who claims to be transgender? So we talk about the social contagion factor. Um, and then we also talk about some of the things that uh, maybe if you've been following this issue, uh, some of the some of the arguments or the logic that hasn't been presented in some of the public forums. For example, um, I speak a little bit about the DSM. That's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. And I, I look at the gender dysphoria diagnosis and compare it to other diagnoses that are listed in the DSM that would be for children and how we approach um, a diagnosis for children and how, how gender dysphoria is different. And these aren't, you know, these aren't necessarily hard factual things, but just things to say, you know, hey, there's, some, there's a little bit of a difference in how we approach um, gender dysphoria, and why is that the case? So it's it's a thought-provoking document as well as um, providing some real uh, counters to the arguments that have been proposed um, in the psychological and medical fields. So let me ask you about that, Dr. Balance. G- give me two ways in which gender dysphoria is treated differently than some other disorder. Yeah, so... Um, there's a class of disorders in in the DSM that specifically are given um, when a person has a long uh, pattern of behavior or thought. And typically when we're working with a child, we don't want to diagnose them until they're 18. And why is that? Well, we know that the child is still developing and they're, they're still changing. And so you want to wait until their brain and their um, development has, has reached a certain marker. And so when they've reached that marker, then we, then we kind of go back and say, let's, let's look at this and maybe that they have, maybe they do in fact have this disorder. 
But what you have with gender dysphoria is somebody receiving a diagnosis within six months before they're 18, before they've completed development. And then you, when you compare these types of diagnoses and the interventions attached to them, what you find is that gender dysphoria has a far more invasive and actually more invasive than any other diagnosis in the DSM. So not only are we diagnosing early with something that would be considered a lifelong enduring pattern, um, but we're also attaching interventions that are really dangerous uh, and, and life-altering so um, you're, while you're, a person's still a child. So when you're talking about these uh, in, invasive, we're talking about surgeries and irreversible treatments? Yeah, that's right. We're, we're talking about um, making alterations to one's physiology that um, are irreparable, and certainly we don't even know the psychological ramifications of of these interventions. And, and, uh, and you, that hasn't you, been studied. You touched on this. One of the reasons that we wait until a child reaches adulthood into a certain age is because well into adulthood, the the, the brain is continuing to develop. So for a adolescent to be able to make a decision that is going to have effects upon their life for the for the rest of their life that that's not something that we've historically allowed in this country yeah that's right and and that's why we don't give diagnoses in that are in the DSM that are heavier diagnoses that indicate someone has a lifelong pattern until they're 18 so then it's just it's out of character, so to speak, to give a child such a heavy diagnosis that says this is how you always well, identify. It, it is, a, is a two or three year phase, is that a lifelong pattern? Not when you're a child. Right. <laughs> I mean, think about how many of us, I mean, I myself thought I'd be an astronaut for several years, um, but I was influenced greatly by Star Wars. Now, um, I'm I not thought, an astronaut. I, I thought I'd be a radio talk show host when I was a kid. <laughs> Look what happened. Look what happened. So some patterns are enduring. <laughs> but it's better to wait until a, a person reaches adulthood to make those uh, lifelong decisions. So we see the differences there. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Why? Why? Why do we treat this different than any other condition? Well, I think there are many factors, but I think for for our purposes today, one that's worth noting is the political factor. And um, even trans advocates, <laughs> I'll get that out, um, they, they actually can get upset with the U.S. and our use of gender dysphoria in the DSM because uh, a lot of activists believe that this is a civil rights issue and um, that it shouldn't be treated as a clinical issue. But they will say, especially those from other countries, will make comments that um, America has to for insurance purposes. So, you know, what you see in the activist space is a lot of times using the DSM for the purposes, the end goal of transitioning or imposing these medical interventions on children. 
um, when it's convenient. And, and that's not to say that there isn't a, a real issue um, that some kids suffer, but uh, to divorce this idea from politics would be equally uh, wrong and, and not paint a clear picture of, of what's going on in, um, in, in politics and, and the DSM. So in this publication, the Trans Youth Phenomenon Critiques and Hard Questions, uh, Dr. Ballinger, you and your co-authors seek to kind of cut through the political and take us to the fact-based uh, evidence that is behind this issue so that policymakers, parents, and others will know how to deal with it. That's right. That's the purpose of this document. All right. And where can folks get a copy besides TonyPerkins.com? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, frc.org. It's on the main um, homepage. All right. Once again, great work, uh, Dr. Bowens. Always great to have you on the program and uh, glad you're at the Family Research Council. <laughs> Me too. All right, folks, you can get a copy of this uh, good stuff. It really is. Um, because you need to know, you need to know how to respond to this cultural hysteria that is is leading young people down this dark dangerous, destructive path. So find out more. Go to TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org and you can get a copy. All right, again, coming up at 6.30 Eastern Time, uh, 6.30 Central Time, 7.30 Eastern Time, you can be a part of the Community Impact Team training and also get an update on what's happening with election integrity and what you can do to make a difference in the upcoming elections. Text CIT to 67742 to register and be a part. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.